Hey guys, welcome back to the Far Better Podcast. I am your host, Michael Clark, and we are in the home stretch of season four. These are episodes 19, 20, and 21, the next three weeks that we're going to be finishing up. And then we'll take a short break, not as long as our summer season break, and we'll be back at the beginning of the new year with season five. Now, today and the next two weeks, I have with me two guests that are very near and dear to me for multiple reasons, but I have Ryan Manning and Daniel Manning. I'm going to give them a chance in just a moment to introduce themselves, but we are all connected in multiple ways through Christian camps growing up, through the Memphis School of Preaching where we all graduated and went to school, but also Ryan and I are connected from five years of local work together where we served as co-preachers, and Daniel and I are connected for five months of working (laughs) together at the same congregation. And so, uh, Ryan, we'll start with you, and then we'll go to Daniel. Why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us what you uh, do for fun, where you work, some of the hobbies you have. Well, um, uh, I thanks for having me, I guess, and I'm minister at the Somerville Church of Christ. Where, well, I'm the minister now. <laughs> You're welcome. No, uh, no. <laughs> you successfully supplanted him. Su- yeah. Successful. No, it was it was a good five years. Yeah. And let's see, what do I do for fun? I know I can I can speak to some of this. One of your what favorite you things say? to do when we would go visiting was if there was a piano around, I would look for Ryan. The first couple months we worked together, I wasn't aware of this. I would look for Ryan, and all of a sudden I would hear a piano start playing. And then I'd look back, and it was you playing the piano. Yeah, that is my happy place. Yeah. So you enjoy you enjoy getting to do that. Um, I'm going to ask you real quick to pull your mic closer to your mouth. Hey. There we go. And now we'll go to Daniel Manning. Oh, hello there. Now, Daniel, now, by the way, Ryan has two children, Liliana. How old is she now? She's seven. Yeah, that that makes me feel older. Um, And then Ian is a teenager? Not yet. He's close, though. Not close. yet. He's 12. Yeah, okay. So we're we're getting Found- right, right there. Foundation's next year. That's right. I'm looking forward to that. He can be in my apartment. That'll be terrible for him, but fun for me. Well, I expect it. Exactly. Daniel Manning is also with us today. Daniel, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well... Ryan and I work together right now. Right. That's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, that's that's a fun thing. I'm the youth minister at Somerville, and I have a lovely wife named Bryn, and we just had our first baby named Robin, and she is just a month old today. Yeah. So I I'm basically no sleep and changing a lot of poopy diapers. So you you basically know what it's like to be me now. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know that. How do you uh, enjoy the no sleep part? Because you're you're usually pretty good about getting. It's awful. Yeah, I actually oftentimes think, how does Michael just do this <laughs> without having a baby? Yeah, well, that's true. You just um, do it because I just yeah, up. it's just it's just fun. But he has a baby. Well, now he does. <laughs> yeah, but before for years. Well, and, and but the problem is right now I live on campus, and so if I need to get work done. I can leave the apartment and come up to my office and get work done, and there are no children in this office when I'm doing that. It's amazing. It is amazing. It also gets gets me into some some binds if I don't make sure that Megan doesn't need me before I leave. So I've learned to ask, hey, can I go and get – do you need me for anything else tonight? And so that that's helpful. But 
Um, I got to work with both of them. I mentioned that I worked with Ryan for five years, Daniel for about five months. Uh, and it just so happened that right about the time Daniel came on to Somerville was about the time that this job at the Memphis School of Preaching started to kind of formulate. So I wish I could have had more time with with you, both of you. Uh, but they are working together as brothers, which is a really kind of unique opportunity. I don't know of a lot of places that have that blessing for them. Well, when we started working together, the two of us, you and I, people said, oh, man, that's not something that happens very often with yeah. co-preachers. Right. But now to have us working together as as brothers, um, I haven't heard of that. Well, I haven't heard of that. That's yeah. not common. No, well, and that's the other thing. People were always so amazed at how well Ryan and I have gotten along. Uh, neither one of us ever tried to steal the job from the other person, at least to my knowledge. I never did that to you. I, I'm pretty positive you never did that to me either. Well, one of us is no longer there. <laughs> that, well, that's true. You know what? I guess that's why the elders asked me to leave. No, um, But we, we always had a great relationship working together. We became very good friends and got to do stuff. And people would find out that we would just hang out together. And they were like, why? And I think that says a big problem in the church, and that's what we're talking about the next three weeks is the church itself. Mm-hmm. There's a problem when two preachers cannot be friends, and that that seems to be like so shocking to anyone who hears it, right? Well, if you're going to work with somebody, it's it's best to get along. Yeah, that seems to be the smartest plan. So what we're going to do is something I did on last week's episode with Jameson Stewart and Drew Suttles. I have three questions, like I always do. I'm going to start with Ryan. He'll answer the first question. I'll jump to Daniel. He'll answer the second question. And then our last question will be a free-for-all. Both of you can answer it. So, Ryan, today's episode is called The Church's Faults. All season long, we've been focusing on the theme of far better than focusing upon dot, dot, dot. Mm -hmm. And so today, it's far better than focusing on the church's faults. And so the obvious question has to be, does every church have faults? Well. I'm always I always question the word every. Does every church have faults? And and usually when I see every, I say, well, it's hard to make a blanket statement. But every church has human beings, right? And if every church has human beings, and and the Bible says we can't claim that we're without sin, then there are going to be issues. We're we're trying to get to heaven, and we're trying to work through our temptations. We're trying to work through our um well people have ad- addictions they mm-hmm. have temptations they have interpersonal problems and just because you're in the church doesn't mean those things magically go away that's why we gather together as christians to help that's to help us get over those things so just the point of the church gathering together as christians coming together to help each other get to heaven means that you're going to have faults in the church. I think it was—I don't remember the exact time, but I was a little boy, and I remember finding out for the first time that somebody that I had looked up to went forward. And I was like, what? Like an elder or a deacon had gone forward. And in my mind, it was like, but they're perfect. You know, there's no way that they need to, you know, repent. And then I remember growing up and seeing even more people that I thought were really faithful— and I found out that they really weren't, and marriages ended, uh, friendships were lost because people decided to go the way of sin instead of the way of righteousness. And that kind of lends to the idea of, like you said, it, it's not that the church has a problem, 
because the church was created by our Savior who was perfect. That's right. And therefore, when the church is operating in the way that it's supposed to be, it's not going to be a sin-ridden place. However, we have people involved in the kingdom that are human beings. Those human beings are obviously flawed people. If they weren't, they wouldn't need to be in church. They wouldn't need to be trying to live better for God. They would already have it all figured out. And so what lends to the discussion, I guess, of what we're talking about, it's a guarantee that there will be problems. It is not supposed to be a guarantee that those problems will be devastating to the church. And for five years, we've dealt with various problems that came up in congregational issues. That's right. Some were small, some were bigger, some were medium, some didn't matter at all. And we were able to very quickly go, oh, that's not a big deal. And I remember some of the stuff that we would talk about, I would say, well, I'm really worried about such and such. And you would just go, nah, it's fine. It'll work. It'll work out. And that helped me understand better. It's okay to just push forward. And there were some issues that have come up in every congregation for people that are, oh, it's fine. We'll work that out. Some seem to rock congregations to the core. Uh, You know, you don't know when that's going to happen. You don't know what it will be. Maybe it's the loss of a child in the congregation unexpectedly. And then people lose their faith because of that particular issue. Those are problems. Those are faults that can happen and occur. It doesn't mean that the church is the issue, though. And I think that's what needs to be, at the very beginning of this, put out there and the focus of everyone as we continue our conversation is, if every church was perfect, what church would need Jesus? What group of people would need Jesus? And that's really the the end-all, be-all of it. No one is perfect. There were sermons that you and I both preached, and we would get done and go, that probably wasn't my best sermon. Uh, I wasn't perfect in the pulpit. I know you wouldn't say that you're perfect in the pulpit. Well, just about every sermon is is not going to be my best. There's there's one that's my best, right. unless every sermon is better than the last one, but right. that's not how it works. And so we always find room for improvement, and I think that's the idea. But faults seems to convey issues. And so every church having issues, talk for just a moment before we throw it to Daniel. When do we know that an issue is big enough to have it be, you know, now's the time we got to take some action? Well, bringing it from a congregational level down to an individual level, I love what 1 John 1 says about faults because it's, this, it's, it's a pretty well-known verse, verse 7 if we walk in the light, as he's in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Mm-hmm. So there's faults, right? If you say we have no sin, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. So there's an acknowledgement of faults, even as Christians, and there's walking in the light, but it's not a problem because when you have a fault, you deal with it. Mm-hmm. So if you walk in the light, Part of walking in the light is addressing sin when it comes. It's not like, oh, I committed a sin. I've stepped out of the light. It's here's the sin. I address that and I continue to walk in the light as the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us. So, on a congregational level, I would say it's probably something similar. If you have issues and they are being worked through, they're being addressed, then you're going to have a healthy congregation. But if you don't address those issues and let them fester and rot, then it's going to spread. You know, like the Bible says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Mm -hmm. If you see the 
leaven in the congregation and you don't address it, then it'll spread. Well, that's a great segue to our next question. And I wonder if you did that on purpose. Hmm. Um, You'll never know. (laughs) (laughs) So, Daniel, should the brotherhood, other churches, be spreading the faults of other congregations? And I'll give you an example. Years ago, there was an issue that arose at a specific type of, you know, business, a university. And everybody seemed to have to get involved in talking about that university's problems. And if you didn't get involved in talking about it, you were deemed unholy. So is that wise for churches to be spreading the faults of other congregations? Or I would even take it a step further and say religious-run organizations even. Well, clearly we have seen that people are less than enthused these days with just the church in general. Right. Uh, I come from a standpoint of if we think that we're doing everything in a bubble, then we are delusional because Mm -hmm. the church oftentimes is accused of being unloving, being uh, able to devour their own. And how could we deny that, well, you know, we're not unloving, but then turn and say, what about all of these instances where somebody is accusing another congregation and a whole group of people is being thrown under the bus because of one, for instance, here's a, here's a university or even an individual at a congregation that's doing something less than desirable and then the entire congregation or uh, a greater body of Christians turns to them and basically throws them to the wolves. Why would the world then look at that and say, I want to become a Christian? Yeah. These people are going to be loving to me when I have a problem that arises. Uh, so I think the first place that I would look at, yeah, we all have faults, like Ryan said, but why you don't spread it to other groups is because the rest of the world is watching. And I think sometimes we need to handle our problems a little bit more tactfully. Yeah. Um, there were, there were a couple examples. Ryan and I were talking this about this before. And in Galatians chapter two, uh, when Paul writes, I withstood Peter to the face. Yeah. And I think that's Galatians two eleven. Uh, I think that's sometimes people's first go to. Right. Is well, there's a problem, somebody has an issue. And so I got to get out there. I got to get in front of this problem, regardless of whether or not I have anything to do with it. And I need to go and defend the faith. Mm-hmm. And then they forget, well, the rest of the world is watching you do this. And sometimes maybe the eldership of that individual has it handled and you don't need to have anything to do with it because the reason you know something about it is from gossip or somebody trying to slander another person's name. Yeah. And then people will jump on social media, post about a problem, and it becomes public knowledge. I think that's wrong. Yeah. I think there are some issues, obviously, got to a point with Peter where Paul had to say something. And so what it seems to be was Paul had been told or had witnessed himself what Peter was doing and said, okay, okay, enough's enough. I'm not going to allow this to happen. I'm not going to be involved in doing this. 
And when we look at all of the things that are going on in that particular situation, it would be very similar to some of the conversations Ryan and I have had over the years where one of us has gone to the other and said, you should not have done that. Or I don't know if that was the wisest move, or I'm not sure that you should be doing that. Thankfully, Mm. to my knowledge, it never got to a point where, hey, you're in sin, you better straighten up. And that's really what happened with Peter and Paul. Well, and I think the problem is sometimes somebody is in sin and they view it as, uh, let's say it was you and Ryan, and you're working together at a local work, and let's say you're actually in sin. Right. And if Ryan's thought is... I'm going to interpret Paul withstanding Peter to the face as me getting on Facebook and saying, Michael Clark, whom I work with, mm-hmm. is a, a wicked person because of this, and he needs to repent. Instead of going to you, talking about it with you in a peaceful and calm manner, and dealing with a subject head-on yeah. in a polite way, then that would that would have destroyed your relationship, that would have done much more harm than good. Uh, and I, there's two, there's two thoughts. It's either attack something head on, uh, or you can look at the, there's passages in Proverbs, like Proverbs 15, one, which is a soft answer turns away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. And there's that idea of there might be a time and a place when somebody's at fault that you can go after them, but how you do it m- matters greatly. Yeah, well, and it's important, too, to remind ourselves there is a chain of command in the Bible for the church to operate through. Obviously, Jesus is the head of the body. You have the elders. You have ministers and deacons and servants then all working together. There's a chain of action, though, that's put in place in Matthew chapter 18, where we're told if a brother does sin, you don't first go to the, you know, to the congregation or to the public marketplace and say things about him. Our public marketplace of today is social media. And so when we get on those platforms and we start bashing people left and right without even giving them a chance to change, we're bypassing the plan and we're just breeding for churches to see the faults that are going on, even if they're valid, even if they're valid. Ryan? I think I think it's important with the Peter and Paul situation Paul was calling him out as he was doing it. Right. He he was there. Mm. He was witnessing the wrong, and he was also witnessing that um, it said other Barnabas and other Jews were being carried away with what Peter was doing. And Paul saw that. He was experiencing it in the moment, and he withstood him to the face to stop him from doing that sin a lot of times you have people now stepping in mm-hmm. after the fact is happening when they're not a part of the situation. Right. And they're trying to be Paul withstanding their brother to the face, but they're they're not in the situation. They don't know what's happening because they're addressing rumors. And, well, there's a difference, and that difference should be noted. Well, and in Nehemiah 6, it's my favorite passage when we talk about this, Nehemiah 6, 2 through, uh, let's see, about verse 8, we're talking about a situation where Sambalat and Geshem sent to Nehemiah saying, hey, let's meet together in the villages of the plain of Ono. And Nehemiah writes a little exposition there at the end where he says, but they thought to do me harm. So they're presenting it as, hey, let's all get together and let's, let's work this out. 
And so he sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing a great work. I, I, I just can't make it down. Why should the work cease while I leave to go down to you? They didn't take the hint because they sent the message to him four times, and he answered them the same way every time. And the fifth time, someone came with an open letter in hand, and he still said, I'm not coming down. I'm not doing this. I think we would all be wise to remind ourselves that not every big problem that comes up is going to be a place that I have a business being involved, and not every single situation needs to be talked about either. And you mentioned Paul witnessing what Peter was doing. It took a report from the house of Chloe for Paul to truly know what was going on in Corinth from what he had been told. And then he says, I believe the report that's been given to me based on what I know, this report is factual, it's accurate, and you guys have some things to correct. But Paul didn't just go around to everyone saying, now, do you have any dirt on Galatia? Do you have any dirt on Ephesus or Colossae? He had another source for that. And he was also an apostle. Exactly. So he was one in authority. He was the person to call to handle problems mm-hmm. like that. Sometimes people step in and the, when they're bystanders and they don't let the elders of a congregation yeah. handle it, like Daniel mentioned. Yeah, there's no, there is no apostle that's on this earth today. And so you defer to the one that's in authority, right. which is Jesus, who says, obey your elders. And so why would I then step into a congregation that has elders and say, you elders are not doing a good enough job. Mm-hmm. I have to be able to convince yeah. the rest of the world that I am the one with authority. That's a great point. And that leads us again to a great segue. Y'all are, y'all are naturals at this. Um Y'all should do a podcast together. Maybe there's a network that would like to hear something like that, and we could see what we could do with it. Uh, number three. The Brothers Grimm. This is. <laughs> Talk about all the bad stuff in the church. <laughs> this is a free-for-all question. Both of you can can jump in and talk about it. How can the leadership of each congregation keep the focus on their own backyard? First thing I want to mention John 15, 8 says, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. And I like what you mentioned in Nehemiah. Come down to the plains of Ono, and he said, We've got a good work going on here. Mm -hmm. Focus on the work. I, I would bring that to what we see happening just around these parts here in Tennessee. We're at the Memphis School of Preaching recording right now. Uh, it would be like somebody levying a complaint against the Memphis School of Preaching and saying, hey, I have a problem with you. You should stop everything that you're doing and fix this problem that I see that you have. Yeah. And then B.J. Clark, who's the director of the school, saying, we are training men to be preachers to mm-hmm. go out. We can't stop this work right now just to solve one problem that you perceive to be a thing, which is oftentimes what I see happening a lot against congregations or places that are doing a good work. And I think it's very suspicious if that if there's a God and there's a devil, if the devil wanted to, in Nehemiah's instance, cause the work to stop by distracting Nehemiah, well, then the work that happens today could be distracted by the devil raising complaints against people yeah. and saying, hey, stop what good thing you're doing and solve these petty issues that we have. Well, and what you taught me, Ryan, when we first started working together, the idea that we mentioned earlier in this episode, it'll be okay. It'll be all right. How many sermons would not have been written 
how many classes would not have been prepared and we would not have stood in front of the congregation ready to preach if we both sat around all day going, woe is me, there might be a problem with this, or there might be an issue with that, or hey, this might become a problem, this might become... Because if we let it consume us, it becomes our whole life, and we can't get anything done. There is no work that will be accomplished in that moment. Yeah. And we're not actually even solving anything. And I remember one night I came home, Megan and I were talking about something, and I said, yeah, well, uh, such and such is is a potential issue, but it'll be okay. And she was like, what, well, this should bother you. And I said, ah, it'll be fine. And she was like, no, you should be upset. And I was like, I'm okay. And she could not fathom that. And it was after You've been learning. three and a half years of working with a guy who could literally have his arm. Like, the Monty Python movie, Tis But a Flesh Wound, <laughs> is Ryan Manning's approach to problems. Oh, through and through. It could, it could truly be an issue that is massive, and Ryan will just say, it'll be okay. We'll work it out. We'll make it through. And that's important. And I think that's an ultimate thing that churches need to realize when it comes to focusing on faults. Don't have a... Okay, this issue, which may be a problem and may need to be addressed, should not hijack the work that's going on in the congregation. Because if it does, what you said, Ryan, the church will not be known by their fruits because they'll have no fruit to be borne by. And you mentioned, Daniel, that there's a problem in those moments of not only are they not working, not only are they not doing things, but they just they're not getting it done. They're not trusting everything. I think there's sort of an inverse correlation between the amount of time people spend picking faults at, uh, in other congregations and and saving souls. Yeah. So if you're if you spend a lot of time picking faults, you look at congregations, for example, who are saving souls, who are actively mm-hmm. engaged in evangelism and, and doing the work, and you don't see them going around writing in publications how this congregation is slipping and this congregation is slipping because they're too busy going out and addressing the problem of sin mm-hmm. in their community and in the world. Yeah. Well, guys, I appreciate you being on this Season 4, Episode 19 with me, and we'll be back again next week for y'all, about 23 seconds for us after I hit stop, and we will be talking about the church and its successes. And so we'll look at the church and its successes, and also we'll end next week after next with the church that I don't attend. And so uh, remember, between now and eternity, it's our goal to please God now so that our eternity can be far better. What's up, guys? It's Caleb and Michael over here from the Scattered Abroad Network, and we just wanted to say thanks so much for listening to this episode. Yeah, we're so thankful to the East Hill Church of Christ for overseeing this network, and we're grateful to God for this opportunity. And don't forget, you can check out our show notes below for all of our social media links, email address, website, and we have a monthly newsletter, so don't forget to sign up for that. Please remember to leave us a rating or a review on whatever platform it is that you use, And please continue to keep our network in your prayers. As always, thank you again so much for listening. Be ready tomorrow. We have brand new content coming out here on the SAN. Thanks so much, and God bless.